Hello, I'm Frankie, and today you're tuned into Meditations for the Anxious Mind. If you're enjoying my podcast so far, and you like my hair and my runners, which you can't see now because it's an audio podcast, please consider subscribing to my Patreon at Meditations for the Anxious Mind so I can continue to buy Pringles. Today I'm joined by recovering heroin addict and neuroscientist Dr. Brian Penny. Namaste. Yeah, Brian, thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. We were talking a bit before this about um about your book, Bonus Time. Um and uh, you know, as as much as I have issues with Amazon, it's fucking great that I, I, I thought about it and it arrived straight away. <laughs> so this podcast is actually sponsored by Amazon now. <laughs> <laughs> um but it, it was it was really is brilliant. Look what I was saying, I'm about two hundred pages in. I'm gonna read the rest over the next couple of days. But um I I love I love just hearing people who are able to overcome adversity and you talked about in the book you know I don't want to tell you what you talked about because you wrote it but uh, like about about having a double life or living two lives I should say like and yeah. um, you know when, like as you said in the book you, you were a heroin addict uh, for 15 years was it? 15 years yeah I was a chronically addicted I suppose doing heroin every day for 15 years but 18 years I started when I was 17 that was my first time doing it till 35 but 15 years chronically addicted yeah yeah, yeah. And, and like it's, it's funny because living in that you live a double life but then after that you, you live a second life if that makes sense yeah and, and, and that's the reality I think I call it in the book when, when two worlds collide that's when they came together but it was two it was two two completely different lives and I think the essence pe- people often say like uh, if they're talking about people in addiction say ah, addicts are liars that's something they often hear but it's by default you have to lie like I couldn't be like oh man I've just gone upstairs to smoke a bag of gear like you know what I mean I had to lie I had to say I was going somewhere else and the lies creates that other identity that other life that you had to live and it the stigma around all the different things for obvious reasons you're trying to protect the addiction so you, you protect it by being secretive and that's just the double life that you start yeah. leading, you know. It's funny. It's funny for me. I, I remember when I when I think about my anxiety, what you call it, or my my addiction. It was always driven by anxiety. You know that way. There would be in blame. Like I suppose you're looking for excuses yeah. of why you went down that path. You're blaming the area that you grew up in. You're blaming the opportunities that you didn't get, or maybe the reason why you have anxiety. And you might be blaming your parents or things. I I, I sort of never went down that route. I don't yeah. think I did anyway. I certainly don't and recovery I think it's about um, taking ownership I, I think a really huge part of successful recovery because there's recoveries on a, on, a, on a spectrum you know it's successful recovery I'd even call it post recovery where you're, you're not saying you're in recovery anymore you're just like you go beyond that as well yeah. and I think it's like uh, taking full responsibility and full ownership for your life I think that's really really important as well you know yeah yeah, mm. and, and like that was one of me as well where like I, I couldn't have you know the way the way I was brought up and like you know I, there wasn't really any immediate addiction in the family uh, like I think you said it as well in your book it would have been similar enough and like you know my parents are two of the best people I know and like you know for a long time I, I had those I had those two lives as well where I had you know the way I was acting and the way I was thinking you know and they were two separate things and sort of wanted to 
just like have a marriage of those two things together but i couldn't i couldn't like live the way i was living and have a good relationship with my family you know it's just the two things were mutually exclusive yeah yeah i get i get that and and you try you sort of you know what to do you know you know if you if you have a we all have a moral compass to some extent and you know what you what to do you know what you should be doing you, you're thinking about what you should be doing but you just the actions just can't align because the different the different way you're set up and then the drugs try and change our mindset as well it can just it can get very very fuzzy it, it, we even say two lives but it's like multiple lives multiple parts <laughs> yeah. of it on the inside yeah. like depends what One day for every day of the week that's yeah. it like you know it's nuts yeah. it's yeah. nuts and uh, what were you like growing up as a kid like before all that what what would you have kind of what was your personality like yeah it's it's really interesting because um I, I remember i remember even when i was in the depths of addiction so i worked for a lot of my addiction i just got really really dark at times as well before i lost the job and i i remember there was there was a girl in the job that I, when i got clean i went back and i was talking to her and she says that brian was always there the happy go lucky brian i always had a happy go lucky attitude about me and even as a kid like i had a lot of trauma in, in my life as as an infant as a baby lot, mm -hmm. lots of trauma and I had lots of, I suppose, childhood trauma around alcoholism in the family as well. But I came from a loving family. I always knew I was loved. I always knew I was safe within that as well. I wasn't getting battered or anything like that. There was a safety within that as well. And there was, but there was chronic anxiety. Worrying was the big thing. I was just always up in my head, worrying about what was gonna happen. Me mom and dad are gonna die. Me family's gonna die. But then in the, uh, within that as well, like I, I, it was paradoxical as well in a way because I love playing football and there was a happiness within me as well so it wasn't just simple it wasn't just black and white oh, I was un, un, unhappy and anxious and I went into addiction there was happy moments within that and I, I think even what I'd say I think my true self my authentic self is someone that's bubbly and happy but it was just the, the torment and the, the, the trauma sort of masked that at certain times and I think my true self is the person that's here today you know yeah yeah mm. it's funny that you say that literally that's the exact same way I was as a kid like real sensitive but like class clown kind of yeah. wanted people to accept me and I remember uh, every time like it's crazy we used to have the little uh, the landline upstairs and uh, you know I actually my, my parents I wasn't allowed to have a phone till I was 11 or 12 <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and like so we had the landline and whenever my parents would go out for a bite to eat like they'd literally and I had no reason to believe this but in my head I was like what if they don't come back what if they're never coming back what if they're dead yeah. and I always started thinking that and in my head I started picturing all these scenes and horrible stuff like them dead in a car crash <laughs> like yeah. it's it's nuts and all that stuff and I was from a really young age I, 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 I loved helping people now I didn't have, I wasn't able to but I liked the idea the idea yeah you know? the, the, the moral compass yeah. was there yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and yeah, it like yeah. and it never really left in a weird way and I'm not, and, and, you know it doesn't surprise me I, I remember it's really interesting as well and I'd imagine you can relate to this as well Frankie when I was younger like one of my biggest memories as a kid me mum and dad would be gone to the pub and I I would be just really anxious that they wouldn't come home alive that, that same thing and I'd be waiting waiting behind the netted curtains for hours 
hours on end a car another car go past I jump up off the bed mm. this is them this is them but it wasn't them back on the bed anxious again and that's like an overriding memory of my life as a, as a, as a kid and the amount of people anytime I talk about this or I wrote about it in the book people would come to me and say oh my god I experienced that as well but I thought I was on my own with that I thought I was the only person so it really doesn't surprise me I think a lot of kids have them fears especially kids that are up in their heads and what do you want to do when you get up in your head? You want to get out of your head. How <laughs> yeah. do you get out of your head? You use drugs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, isn't it? Isn't it mad? Look, like, and it's you know, it's it's like nearly like a maladaptive way to yeah. like it's it's like how did that kind of get through the evolution to where we are now? Because it's like when you look at like obviously, <laughs> I I understand the irony of trying to talk about evolutionary psychology <laughs> to somebody who has a PhD, <laughs> but you know, like if you look at like. Uh, like I'm guessing like where anxiety came from is like you know you're a caveman in the cave and the fella outside the cave is going to bash your skull in with a rock so you had the reason to be anxious back then but now it's like we don't really have we're not in imminent danger 99% of the time but it's still there you know yeah, so true. And, and to be honest, you, you probably know as much about evolutionary psychology, or evolutionary <laughs> evolution stuff than me. I've only done a bit of reading around it. But one thing that I've recognised from, from me from my studies in neuroscience, and I try to sort of piece the disciplines together and look at it from that perspective. And like basically years ago thousands of years ago if you went if you got thrown outside of, like there was reason to be anxious if you got thrown out of the tribe you were dead there was anxiety with that if you were going out let's say hunting and a lion jumps out which are whatever animals are around you're on a chase the anxiety was there as well but it wasn't it, it wasn't like that it, like you would get anxious there would be the stress response and then you would let it go and you get on with your day the way animals do it today but I think one thing that I look into, and I'm thinking about the psychology of the, the environments that we live in now, like if you think from an evolutionary perspective, cities are only a couple of hundred years old, like only a couple of hundred years old. The computer is only 50, 60 years old. The smartphone is only 15, 20 years old, if, if even that. Like evolution hasn't caught up, our, but we're working off the biological machinery that served us in the wild. But now we're in an environment that's hyper, hyper stimulus, every stimuli or every everywhere where and and emotionally charged stimuli trying to grab our attention negative news the war covid like we were we, we evolved to grow up in tribes of two three hundred people but now we're in cities of hundreds of thousands and we have access to pretty much seven and a half billion people around the world mm. through through the internet and it's 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 our brains were not made that way they were not adapted that way so it's no wonder that anxiety levels are off the charts these days because we're projecting into a future that we don't know what it is but that's the essence of anxiety thinking about a future and being fearful of a future and it's it's crazy like it really yeah. is yeah. yeah and like have you seen uh, as far as like you know obviously you're an expert on addiction and uh, have you seen like uh, a big one now is like you know just the internet and being addicted to the internet and have you seen much of that in in your research yeah so so what you call it i was i was gonna say i, I said i wouldn't i'm an expert by addi with addiction through experience and i suppose my phd was on addiction as well i was gonna say who, who is an expert as uh, i suppose it's the question there but I, I i haven't worked in the area of working with people in addiction so i've done the research on it and i have the lived experience i don't have the clinical expertise but what I have done, it's it's I have done a lot of work around breaking bad habits. I do a lot of coaching, I do a lot of courses around that as well. And at the end of the day, like 
phone addiction is an absolute monster food addiction is an absolute monster probably bigger than the other addictions mm-hmm. because it's like the, the 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 consequences of them are not as uh like if you take heroin you could die with an overdose straight away whereas the consequences of phone addiction and field addiction are just not as close in the future and i think that's an element of that as well it's because we don't see it as being as bad that it can really take hold but if you look at the amount of people like i i, I think there's a huge problem with phones at the moment yeah. like i was even um even last week i've in the last couple of weeks i, I put a little intervention in myself because i've recently found myself um sort of just just being drawn to me phone in stupid situations it was like a sniff of boredom i noticed it there about two or three weeks ago i was watching a tv show that i was enjoying and my partner was working that night and i was sitting there on my own and anytime there was a, a moment in the tv show that was a little bit boring i was going to grab my phone i said what's the story with that and i'm checking sky sports and i, I'm, I, I there's nothing on it but particularly that i wanted to check on sky sports Five minutes went by, I'm checking Sky Sports again. Then they're doing COVID latest. That's what that was my thing for the last few months. And I'm checking things that I don't even want to check. So it's like I I don't browse on social media, thankfully. And I know that's a big problem for a lot of people. But it's like I think we're just grabbing it as a crutch. Like we've no focus, we've no attention in the modern world and our phones are just grabbing us a little bit and we just like use it as a crutch and we're checking things we don't even want to check. Yeah. This is this is the bizarre thing. Like, you know, who enjoys browsing through people's profiles? <laughs> yeah. Some people stalkers. must be stalkers, you know? There must be something there. Yeah. But for the most part, we're just grabbing it for the sake of grabbing it. And, and there is like a dopamine release of when I think it's like a false sense of connection. Like mm. one of our most basic human drives is connection. And I think the phone give you this false sense of connection especially social media instagram all these kinds of things it's that false sense of connection but there is an element of just like we 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 talk about dopamine in terms of a reward something pleasurable but we even get a dopamine hit when we remove something that's bad so if you're feeling crap and you take something that removes that bad feeling there's a reward in that as well so it taps into all of these little uh psychological problems and it's 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 just it's just it's becoming a real problem I, i've started to put an intervention in myself that i'm trying to replace so anytime i get have that craving to grab my phone instead of it grabbing me attention and taking me focus i'm taking five deep breaths longer out breath which really really re- reduces anxiety and i'm trying to replace the lack of attention with focus and attention and it's working quite well for me and i've put in a, a rigid rule where at six o'clock that was, that was me and I am going off earlier before the podcast so <laughs> yeah, it, it yeah. comes up on the phone put your phone in the room yeah. and the phone goes in the room so that's brilliant it's and it's it's working a little it's working well but it's it's not working all the time and it's like a little whisper I've caught myself a few times and I don't need to do it tonight rationalising yeah. the yeah, way yeah, yeah. and it's it's weird it's it's weird the phones just have this pull on us I don't know what yeah. it is and I'll justify it as well going what if someone needs you at 6.05 yeah. <laughs> what if the house is burning down you know, you know and all that stuff I I would struggle around the phone as well just because like you said those stories you tell yourself I'll justify it because all my work is on the phone you know so I'll kind of look at like uh, my screen time and oh Jesus Christ that's you know like some days you just be on it like and I'll be on it for most of the day because I'm working on it and then I'm like okay I need to get outside I need to do something here (laughs) but you know what's funny as well Brian Um, you were talking about addictions that are like so common that they're barely even perceived as addictions and i think a big one with with people my age that i would lump into that category kind of is weed um because you know it's 90 percent of people i know are grand and they can they can even i know friends who smoke every day and they're grand like 
but like then it's that is not like 10% of people who this would have been what I was like you know 10, 10% of people who won't get out of bed without it you know like that sort of and, and that was from a young age you know that was that was a problem for me and um, but like uh, and then it went on to other stuff then but like uh, it's funny how like I, I, and I, I think for for the record, I think all drugs should be decriminalized. Yeah. Um. You know, so I'm not like anti weed or anything. I'm just saying it's funny how it can get lumped into that kind of category where they think it's like a spice or something. Yeah. Like to be honest, right? At the end of the day, substances are a problem if they're being used as a crutch. Like if you're using orange, I've no, I just made that up on the spot. I've no idea why you'd be using that, orange <laughs> juice as a crutch. But if you were using that as a crutch and you're drinking too much and you and you, and you're, it's gonna be a problem. Yeah. Like anything in excess is gonna be a problem. But if you're struggling with some kind of emotional pain or emo, uh, psychological discomfort and you're using a substance or a behavior to cope with that, to remove that, to avoid that pain, well, and it's gonna reward that. Well, then it can turn into a habit, and you're gonna do it on a consistent basis, and that's when it turns into a problem so there's some people that can use weed recreationally there's some people that can drink alcohol recreationally there's even a person a fella called Dr. Carl Hart yeah he uses heroin recreationally (laughs) and the funny thing is I don't say this too often myself like for me anxiety drove my addiction I have a beautiful relationship with anxiety today I welcome Mm. it I really do I've mastered that, that, that part of my life and I genuinely believe if I wanted to I could use weed and potentially I wouldn't even, I shouldn't even probably saying this out loud but potentially use heroin recreationally if I wanted it but I don't want it and it's the fact that I don't want it is is the key piece because if I wanted it why would I want it because I'd be wanting to use it to remove something else and that's really the problem I think that's why weed can be a problem for some people it's it's there's something under the bonnet there's something underpinning the, the need to use and whatever it is like it could be addicted to, to politics addicted to bloody talking about COVID-19 and into this group you become a vaxxer or an anti-vaxxer and you get addicted to that whole mentality like it's it's all of these behavioural addictions can be as bad can be as problematic yeah. you know even worse because yeah. you know you don't have to buy it yeah yeah, yeah very yeah. true but it, it's always getting back to your own mind and, and creating that sense of inner peace because once you have that then you're not trying to reach out for other things you know yeah. so that should be the goal yeah look with me I don't know like, what you're saying about like about uh sorry Bert oh, I just had a burrito about 20 minutes ago I'm trying to clear my throat I've, Bert, I'm so I, I conscious learned that I done a talk one time and I yet before and yeah. I never just burping throughout the whole thing I, I promised wouldn't I wouldn't we had it. Dean Scurry on there the other week and he did the same thing he was burping for the first 20 minutes <laughs> but uh, like uh, try to sneak it out yeah, on the, in, yeah. in the outbed <laughs> mindfulness yeah. yeah but like I don't know with me like um, I feel like like anxiety or not just for me like when I when things were going really well in my life um, and then I, I like relapsed loads of times uh, since you know I was trying to get sober since 19 relapsed loads of times I was in a few treatment centres and stuff like that but like even when my life was good and I was like now you can do it again like there was that lack there that you're talking about obviously I was always yeah. going to go back to it but like even when things were going well I still you know I was still like had that addictive mind and you know, for me, it was like it just it wouldn't ever work. I don't think. Yeah, that's a really, really, really good point, actually, because I I think in life there's no absolutes, and in addiction there's certainly no absolutes. And I I sort of put an absolute on that there to to an extent, and it's not always the case. That was I would say 
the majority of the time there's some I'd say 99 95% of the time there's some underlying issue and there would be probably 100% of the time that's a bit of yeah. an absolute there's an underlying issue yeah. but on top of that as well I think there is some people who are just more biologically susceptible to addictive personalities like I still have to watch myself like oh, you could say I'm addicted to bloody learning at the minute like I've nearly switched I've transformed that addiction into something else and that's sort of we call it drive and obsession in, in when it's positive you know what I mean you, you take away the word addiction but it's still there to an extent yeah. but for some people and they do talk about that like I don't really believe in the bio, biological model of addiction but there just seems to be some people who are highly highly susceptible to 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 addictive tendencies and I think for them even if they even if they were in a really good place some people just do have to be very very careful about yeah. about that so it's it's not definitively for everybody but I do I'd love to think about that more and talk to other people about that because I'd love to know like if there was somebody who was hyper susceptible to that biological addictive tendency if they had really good peace of mind and really good cleared out the other stuff and were really in good shape mentally emotionally and physically would they have a need for that like yeah. for, for me I often talk about energy energy for me is the currency of life like the more energy you have the more you can give and the more you get and for me, a glass of wine or something would just take that energy away. So it's like, it's it's. I don't see the need for it, you know that way. So it's, it's that it's, it's that change, that change of mind or whatever that goes on. You see yeah. that a lot in recovery, where yeah. you know the things that you used to be obsessed with, you don't you don't care about anymore, and they don't have a pull on you. You know. Yeah. And did you notice? Like, was there a turning point for you as far as that like that change of mind came in or? Yeah, so you'll be getting to that soon in the book. Um, <laughs> so I had a panic attack, um, what you call it. So I, I, I was in, in, a, in addiction for So when I was 35, I, what you call it, I was in addiction a long, long time and I'd lost everything at this stage, like my job, my job, me mind, me health, every relationship, me life, like really, I did the the noose was tightening massively, and I owed out loads of money, and I just had to do something else. I, I was like a, a rat trapped in a trapped in a corner, I'd nowhere to go, and the drugs weren't working for me anymore. They just were not working for me anymore. And I says to myself, I'm gonna have to try to get clean, but I didn't want to get clean, clean because <laughs> yeah. I I had a narrative of my life that I can't cope with anxiety. So I says, right, I'm gonna get clean and then just do some drugs, but do it better and smarter. So yeah. just to cope with the anxiety. That was the mindset I had. Yeah, exact same here. Yeah, and I tried to get into a detox facility, um, what you call it, and he says, look, you have too many benzos in your system. You're gonna have to get off the benzos and then get into a heroin detox. So I was like. I didn't know that was the case but mm. that's the way it was and I was going to have to wait eight weeks to get into a benzo detox so I says I'm going to be dead in eight weeks yeah. like I was in a bad bad way at this stage I mean I felt like my body was just giving up I just yeah. had nothing physically mentally or anywhere and I says I'm going to have to do a home detox and I would never ever advise anyone to detox off benzos at home but I felt I had no choice and I wasn't in the right frame of mind and that's what I'd done and two days into that home detox was not only the most painful night of my life, it was also the most important night of my life. And I woke up on me sitting on the floor, blood everywhere. I had a, a grand mal convulsive seizure. It's like a benzo fit, they call mm. it. It actually drove me teeth through my tongue. Yeah. So that's the, the thing well, I talk about at the start yeah. of the book, yeah. So um, drove me teeth through my tongue, blood everywhere. My brother James, who's a mate of your of of, of your friends, yeah. Dermos, what you call it, he was um he was there, thought it was dead, horrific scenes. Ambulance rushed to the hospital, and when I woke up, I was in Blanchestown Hospital. I woke up in the hospital, and um I remember just being like just broken, and mentally, physically, and 
emotionally absolutely broken and I remember at one stage I was looking at this fire extinguisher that was hanging on the wall I, 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 like I was so broken I started just slumped on, on the trolley the, the trolley in the room my elbows leaning on my knees and I was looking at this fire extinguisher on the wall it was like I was in this tunnel vision and I was looking at it for a few minutes and then I started trying to label it and I said what, what's that and I, I couldn't make sense of it mm. I couldn't say that's I know what that is but I can't label it. I can't name what it is and I started looking around the room and I couldn't verbalize anything and I remember just thinking oh my god you're brain damaged fucked you're gone game over done no coming back from this you've done it now and I remember waiting for this anxiety just to overwhelm me a panic attack so I had loads of panic attacks I was waiting just to be overwhelmed but I remember just sort of leaning back on the trolley and saying, I am done. I give up. You win. Game over. Not even going to fight this anymore. And I just stopped fighting it. And it was like this sense of peace came over me. And what I've retrospectively realized was that was the shift. That was this catalyst for change for me, a big catalyst for change. And it was the start of me just surrendering. And it was like I had to fall down before I could stand back up and walk forward. And that was a huge moment for me. Um, I, I still had a lot of hardship after that. Like I a few more de a few more seizures, a few more hospital visits. Yeah. Finally got the benzos out of the system. Finally got to a heroin detox. And while I was in the detox there, I started reading about Eastern philosophy, psychology. I started reading about concepts I'd never heard of before. And there was just this energy coming back into my body and I was transforming my 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 addictive tendencies, I suppose, to something more positive. And I was just fascinated by the human mind. But within that time I had this I had this really big shift in perspective. I was reading about all of these things and it was like I was just lit up from the inside. And I had an experience in there. It was my first day clean. It was the 8th of October, 2013. And I woke up that morning on the detox at the detox facility. It was a little farm up in Null. And I remember going for a little stroll in the morning before everyone was up. And the only way, I can't describe it verbally, very difficultly, but it was just like the whole world was just glowing mm -hmm. and, and, and breathing on me, bouncing off me. It was just, perceptually, I could just experience the world at a level I'd never, ever experienced. And that was just another big monstrous moment. I think the, the thing with the fire extinguisher had to happen first. It was like a crack in the armor to allow another way of thinking to happen. And that just shift in perspective then when I felt that awareness, that sort of present moment awareness of, it was just like nature was just, Oh, just inside of me it was a really weird experience like and a spiritual that, experience like a sp nearly, very yeah. very very spiritual experience and that started to get me the hunger to to chase to chase I don't like the word chase but to to why why did I suffer so badly in my mind why do I feel so amazing right now and how can I share this experience with other people what is it and how can I share it so I went and done a degree in psychology and I've continued on that journey doing a PhD and I'm still looking for those answers I found many of them and for me, it was to do with the narrative of my mind. So if you can tell yourself you're stupid, you're not man enough, you you can't cope, well, you're going to feel the emotions with that as well. That's going to hit you hard too. So there's a lovely quote that I, I often reference. It's a quote by a guy called Hafiz, a poet. And he says, the words we speak become the house we live in. Mm. 
so if you keep on telling yourself that and the research shows that the studies that i've that i've researched show that language is a vehicle for emotion so if you keep on telling yourself you're a piece of shit you're gonna feel like a piece of shit mm. so you've got to change your narrative of your life so i stopped telling myself i couldn't cope and i have a different narrative of my life today and a complete opposite narrative is it's adversity doesn't stop me it fuels my ability to thrive so all of a sudden instead of feeling like i can't cope with situations well when challenges happen i see them as an opportunity to grow and a completely diver different mindset to have and i think that's just really really critical that, that but the moment of change was was the the fire extinguisher incident where i had to break before i could get back up and then that that, that shift that sort of awakening experience i had whatever the hell it was yeah. look wow <laughs> God, yeah. that's that, that's amazing. I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> uh, I remember uh, just like kind of learning slowly, you know, doing doing like they say, like esteemable things, getting back into college, you know, getting good people in my life, seeing my family smile and they're happy and they trust me now and stuff like that. Um, and but but just so the first the first couple of months in recovery, honestly, my head was so mangled, like getting suicidal thoughts as soon as I wake up. You know all that great stuff, all and, the good stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah, the joys <laughs> of recovery. And uh, but it was about I'd say it was a few months after that. Um, I woke up and that that thought was completely gone. That obsession that you know someday you're going to be able to go back on drugs and all that stuff was completely gone and i started thinking about like other people like that i was friends with who were in recovery and stuff and going i haven't heard from this fella in a while or i haven't heard from her i give them a ring now now god fucking loved them they probably didn't even want to talk to me <laughs> but, uh, you know but it's funny like how so it was my problem was you know as much as i cared about people I, I couldn't really care because there was that part of me that was kind of just you know there was a bit of a selfish part of me and I try not to be that way in recovery and that was the thing that helped me and that's that's in a way like in a way bigger way that's what you do you know you're, you're thinking about other people you're helping other people and, and it probably helps yourself as well yeah i love that there's so many so much of that that i just love and i do think connection is the key it's connecting with other people and like the way you're talking about there you have fun with your family you laugh that's the stuff that lights people up yeah. like i could feel a warm and a warmth inside of me when you're yeah. talking about that like it is actually that simple i'm not saying it's easy it's yeah. bloody hard but it is that simple like one of the things like i i, I try to do the opposite of what i do in addiction I, I never i didn't have the the insight to be able to do that at, in the early days that's something i've only noticed retrospectively like but like I was waiting I was up in Cafe Nero and I rang you at three minutes to six because I said I'd be there at six because I used to be two hours late when I was in addiction that was the thing <laughs> yeah, late for everything if I, even, if I even showed up so I tried to be the opposite of who I was when I done that like accountability walking my talk is so important to me if I say I'm going to do it I'm going to do it that's something that's so so important to me because I never it's the opposite of who I was so to have that to have that awareness with yourself looking at the lies and the deception because that's I I think we're all masters of self-deception. Yeah. I just think people in addiction get very crafty because uh, how we started at the start, like we're talking about that double world that you have to live in. So you start living the double world, you start telling the lies. But then there's a line I heard, uh, I don't know where I read it, but it's like some people in life, let's say, think they're little worms, they're pieces of crap, they're little worms and they don't mean anything. They're worthless, worthless piece of worms, right? Where some people think they're special and they're brilliant. 
But people in addiction addicts like they that they think they're special little worms. <laughs> and, yeah. and that really vibed with me, you know. And I was a special little worm. I was crafty. Yeah. I was manipulative. Yeah. I was the schemer. I could get yeah, things I was done. The king worm. The yeah. king worm. Yeah, you know worm. I mean? yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and it's like, but at the end of the day, the biggest big realization I found was that I was only fooling myself. Like I was literally fooling myself, and I had myself so twisted up in my head that I didn't know what was reality. I didn't know what was real. I was so detached from reality that I didn't even know how the people taught anymore or how I was supposed to act in the world anymore and I think that's what ha what happens so I think that's like you're talking about scheme and manipulating deception and I think the opposite of that is just self-awareness it's inward reflection that creates that self-awareness and I think that's where you have to be like I think for any for any mental suffering or any kind of challenges you have in your life shining the light of awareness on that is absolutely critical because I think it's not only the catalyst for change it's probably the, the key to change is becoming aware of the actions and not just a knowing like an awareness a full awareness of that is absolutely yeah. critical yeah, and you, and you were saying a minute ago about like, uh, you know, when when you when you came in, there was like the difference between obsession and addiction, or sorry, drive and obsession. Yeah, and um, I could relate to like with me, I'm I'm the exact same. My obsession today is like creativity, and it always was, even when I was a kid. Like it just. It's always creativity in some different form. It used to be the guitar. Uh, I, I was actually supposed to get a record deal when I was 15 years old. And I put that on hold for seven years and never <laughs> went back to it. Um, but uh, what, what happened was uh, I had this really kind of promising, like all, all this stuff that was lined up that was going to go really well for me and kind of fell by the wayside. And But I was always in that. I was always creative. And I found like when if I was in treatment or I wrote like an album's worth of music and treatment no and uh, like so I'd have these bursts of creativity and I noticed it was always when I put the drugs down that I'd be creative like uh, I used to have a fear that if I <laughs> if, if I come into recovery I'm not going to be creative anymore I wasn't fucking creative when I was doing all that <laughs> stuff that I couldn't get anything done I never got anything done and uh, I actually it's funny I came across after leaving the second treatment centre I was in uh, me and a, a good friend of mine um, we were writing a a script trying to write a script about life in a treatment center now he'd never been to treatment before i was saying to him the funniest times i've ever had were in a treatment center and anyone who doesn't understand that sounds really sad <laughs> but uh, like you just meet people that. who are as crazy as you are you know yeah. and, and like just having the crack and now that, that might be why it didn't work for me yeah. but uh you know i I was saying while I was in there, could you imagine putting a camera in and it was like Big Brother, you know, <laughs> like just that. So I always wanted to write that. But anyway, I looked, I looked over it and it was like literally, obviously using it at the time. It was like three pages scribbled in writing and then it was like have a scene where the treatment center is burning like and have jazz music in the background it's like what oh the God. fuck was going through my head you know but uh, dark some dark yeah, stuff yeah there. yeah them not in a great place yeah. yeah yeah but like i think um even still though i love that process of creating <laughs> like horror like complete horror but like uh i always found the better place i'm in the more creative i am and, and it kind of goes hand in hand with what you were saying about wanting to learn and I kind of would have that as well with college I always loved learning things 
you know the problem was remembering them but yeah. uh, you know so it's it's funny how that that was really a big savior for me being creative and now it's kind of gone into the like comedy stuff and just writing you know i love i love that man as well and it's, it's like what what is creativity I, I think that whole idea of taking drugs for creativity i think it really came from the 60s and it wasn't yeah. because the more creative people were were the were the ones taking the drugs everyone was doing drugs mm. back then so just the creative people just happened to be yeah, doing drugs because everyone yeah. was the hippie movement yeah. and stuff like that as well and I, i'd say i'd say that could be an element with psychedelics and mushrooms like it opens you up to a different Absolutely, way of thinking yeah. there's definitely something in that and then the, but the, i think it's just fine in your niche like as a writer create creativity I, I i i work with a lot of other writers we, we create this minds mastermind group it's actually a lot of international bloggers some of the yeah. best out there great group and what i've recognized in that was like they were all equally brilliant writers like selling making a lot of money just yeah. blogging alone like some of them were creative at four in the morning some of them in the morning some of them were super rigid some of them were flexible yeah. it's different for everybody and i think i don't know about yourself like i, I I only listened to a, a Ricky Gervais uh, Ricky Gervais and Sam Harris yeah. Ed, have you listened to their podcast no, no. absolutely oh, yeah, sorry the one and Carl Pilkington was on it yeah. was he I only listened to the yeah, first yeah. one and he, Ricky Gervais was talking about comedy and creativity and, and the way it's like it's about expectation and he was talking about psychology that's why he was actually talking about the psychology of comedy and when I, when I think of like creativity it's like Multi combining disciplines and bringing it together and I think that's why creativity happens and it's about piecing that together yeah drugs may help the odd time or whatever like that but being clean of mind that's the, yeah. that's the key like you know yeah. definitely and, and tell us more about that uh, about that course what was it you were helping bloggers what, what was it oh right so it was really cool actually so i got invited into um it was god 2018 or something like that so there's, there's a thing it's a really big website called medium it's one of the biggest yeah. web i know it yeah, Do you know yeah, medium yeah, yeah. yeah so i was only starting my journey writing then it was actually before i even realized i was going to be a writer like way before my book and i wrote an article i was doing a bit of work with brezzy at the time and he says you should write a blog on lust for life about yeah. that and i says right i'll do it wrote a blog realized oh, i love this game so i start writing on medium and and then there was a guy out of a group from America. He lives in Barcelona, Mike Thompson, great guy. And he was in he was creating this group of all the best writers out there. But I think he just seen something in me and he seen he liked me story and he invited like this had like hundred thousand followers, eighty thousand followers on medium. I had seventy-eight. So yeah. we are very grateful for him bringing me into that yeah, group. He saw something in me. Saw you. something in me and brought me in and a gang of us, there was about 20, 25 of us of the originals in this group from all across the world, Singapore, Australia all over the world and a big gang of us met in Barcelona uh, there just before COVID actually in 2020 and just learning the craft and the trades off them and that sort of got me into the game and developing courses like on the back of medium like I got like making me can make good money off blogging like I, I'd one blog about me brain and habits from the brain I think I made 10 grand off one wow. blog and like, well, went I viral. need to get into that <laughs> I, went, I went viral I got lucky it's not yeah. it's, a, it's a hard yeah. game like yeah, it really yeah. is I, I don't even do it anymore because it's a lot of bloody work <laughs> sounds great but that was the I, I, I'm, I'm naming the big, the big, the, the one that yeah, went yeah. Through, that really blasted off. Yeah. But um, it was just it helped me to create followers to get a newsletter, and now I have a weekly newsletter where I I create content and put that out there, create courses. But for me now, it's about creating online courses to help people with mindset values-based living breaking bad habits all of the stuff that i talk about so they're the courses that i deliver now sort of i delivered them in the corporate arena then as well yeah. you know that's me gig. yeah I, I remember I, I was looking into it i was doing a bit of research and uh, i would have seen that and like so you're obviously helping a lot of people on the individual level and corporate 
What would be like if, if you were to give us like an elevator pitch? Can you do that without giving away your secret? Yeah, no, it could. I easily could. It, it would really, it would really depend. Like an elevator pitch for, for say, say for um, say for your course on like breaking bad habits or on anxiety even. Or... Yeah, so for breaking bad habits, the elevator pitch will be simple. So it's about it's about like habits are habits are are not about the behavior they're not breaking a bad habit is not about the behavior it's about the habit loop the trigger the behavior and the reward but if you really want to break a bad habit it's about tackling particularly the trigger what is the internal trigger like stress or anxiety what is the external trigger like walking past the pub or picking up your phone and when you when you deal with that element of it instead of focusing on the actual uh, behavior itself that's when you kill the habit now obviously it's 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 harder when it's an, inter- an internal stressor or something like that that's causing that an internal trigger but at the end of the day there's, there's a scientific way that we have habits and there's a scientific way to break these habits and there's there's a lot of other it's a lot of nuanced elements to that as mm. well but that is really the key to a habit focus on the trigger remove the trigger that is causing the bad behavior and you're 90 percent of the battle you know yeah yeah Yeah. that makes a lot of sense and like you hear that kind of in or i remember uh like looking at some chart and it's it's a cycle it's like thought feeling behavior or something does that make sense thought feeling behavior so that could be that could be like the the the, that could be the cognitive behavioral therapy element yeah yeah, the abc cognitive behavioral therapy so that's like ABC, so it's the antecedent, right? That's sort of the, the scientific term, but it's like, let's say adversity, so adverse situation. Your belief about how you can cope with that adverse situation and that determines the consequence. Yeah. So imagine yeah, someone has to do a public talk, right? Adverse for most people, right? Belief, I can't do this, gonna make a holy show of myself. Mm. Consequence, ball of anxiety, right? Yeah. Probably take drugs or something like that. <laughs> but yeah. let's say change your belief, right? So adverse situation, public talk. Let's say the belief is, right, I can train, I can practice at this, so I can go with my family and do it, do a, a rehearsal of this. And you know what, if I make a show of myself, people are nice, They'll, they yeah. won't be that bad, it'll be okay, it won't be the worst thing in the world. Well, guess what? The consequence is gonna be different. You're not gonna be as anxious as the person that was absolutely freaking out. So the idea behind that is if you change your beliefs, you change the consequences that happen from that. And the consequences are usually feelings. Yeah. And a belief at the end of the day is just, it's just a, a verbal statement. You tell yourself again and again, and again and it just becomes a belief and some of the things that determine people's lives are these limiting beliefs not good enough I'm a failure I'm ugly I'm stupid I'm too old I'm too young if you keep on telling yourself something again and again and again you're going to believe it and it's going to determine your actions in the world so what we really need to do like about changing your narrative your self-talk is critical but changing your beliefs and your, your view of the world and when you change that you change how you feel and you change how you act and that's like a simplistic way of looking at like yeah. how behavior change you know yeah. and so how long like with, with that like they're like deeply held beliefs that we all have you know it's like uh, my one would have been like you're not good enough mm. or whatever it is or you're different or you know now I fucking was <laughs> <laughs> but like you know you know what I mean it's like there's there's always something and I feel like it's probably an Irish thing as well um 
But like, how how would you break through that? Like, how what what way do you go about it? Right. So there's two things you said there. Let's go with the two that you use. Right. So I'm not good enough. Right. So um, I'm not good enough. Right. I could say that right now. I'm not good enough at basketball to win a match. That's just the truth. Right. <laughs> That's just a fact. So there is some facts with that as well. But if you are saying generically, generally that you're not good enough, we are saying you're such animal. I'm not good enough for life for anything. But you could stress test that, challenge that, dispute that that belief well am I good have what have I ever done anything good in my life yeah well I'm good at that was good at that well maybe maybe that's not true mm. so it's dispute and challenge the actual beliefs because sometimes they're just thoughts we tell ourselves and then we start to believe them but they're not necessarily true so challenge our beliefs to see if they're actually true now uh, what was the other one you said so I'm not going uh, off, different. I'm different yeah Ch- challenge challenge the, 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 the problem with that statement right so today that would have been something for me like you want to be like everyone else you want to be in the in crowd you want to be like other people and you want to fit in but today like most people in life like normal what's what's normal today yeah. normal is mental bad mental I never liked normal <laughs> never liked normal so it's good to be different so yeah. it's reframing what that means it's bloody good to be different yeah. the mantra that I live my life by it's the most important mantra that of the lessons I've learned is be true to your wonderfully weird self you'll attract what you need and repel what you don't yeah. so own your different own your weird good people that vibe with you will come into your life people that don't vibe with you will be repelled by it yeah. that's good too yeah. you know what I mean so it's reframing the, 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 your belief system them of how you see it and 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 verifying the truth of the system and and i think you really nailed something there that they're, they're held beliefs they're long-held beliefs and a belief again language is a vehicle for emotion beliefs are linguistic at the end of the day for the most part so you're going to feel those emotions as well so when you start challenging those beliefs and you start like the, the emotions will come up with that as well but there's an awareness of what happens and, and, and it just sort of dissolves the emotional power of those beliefs over time as well and that's been my yeah. experience especially even with clients that i've been with as well yeah and and i think it's uh it's more just like you said it's like the language for emotion is that what you said language is a vehicle for emotion for emotion yeah yeah, yeah, yeah it was yeah. like three out of five words <laughs> that's not bad for me that's 60% but uh, like oh yeah I, I think sometimes it's so deeply held that you couldn't even pinpoint the words you can just pinpoint the feeling of it yeah. you know it's like that but like that's that's what kind of drove me all the way through my life you know and, and it started to change slowly when it came into recovery like the the kind of psychological stuff yeah. is definitely improving but like you know I'm, I'm, I don't think we're at an end goal or anything don't think there is one yeah. I, I, I would say the same for myself and there's nearly ebbs and flows and loops like I, I would say 2014 2015 was probably the most spiritual I ever was and the most yeah. zen I ever was but I got back into studying I got back into life I got back into the rat race and it's funny I was only meet, meeting meeting some meeting a friend um, to have a two hour walk around Stevens Green and something I want to do now was, is to work back like I, when I start writing the book and I was doing the PhD it was 100 miles an hour now here I'm, I'm in good I'm in very good mental health I feel great I've lots of good stuff opportunities coming into my life but it's very quick moving and I just feel I need to put a bit of a prevent of action in and start to just slow down a little bit create a bit of white space so for me I'll probably go on to a spiritual vibe now and I might be back in the rat race for a while so it's always it's it's not like even circular it's not the, the journey's never ending you know that way it's where I think we should constantly we should 
we should look to be constantly working on ourselves constantly trying to grow because I think I think that's a part of happiness that's a part of fulfillment you know yeah yeah and I, I, I'm only laughing I, I was I noticed that there the last couple of days like two or three times in the last couple like I'd have like a, a few kind of people would come up to me when I'm walking through town and they'd recognise me from like Instagram or TikTok or whatever and uh, you, it's always so nice to see that don't worry there is a point to this I'm not just <laughs> blowing my own trumpet here <laughs> but uh, what I noticed the last few days is like it was pissing rain coming up here so I put my hood on and someone just goes uh, it was like it was like a, a bee going past it going uh, Frankie like that and I went uh, like, <laughs> I literally done that the last two or three days I'm like what the fuck is going on with me there I don't know what what it is I've had a couple of blonde moments the last couple of days uh, I'll give you another one now that we're on the subject um I was uh, my my parents' friends were in the house and uh, my mom and dad were gone out for a minute and I just called in and they go Frankie what's the story why is there no cold water and I go oh I think it's because my dad changed the oil earlier on and they were like the oil that has nothing to do with the water I was like oh yeah 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 I know yeah so, I don't know where we're going with this I, I, I have a few with them as well though I have to yeah. say I'd be off and saying to myself how was this fella my partner say it as well says how the hell have you got a PhD <laughs> so I'm, I'm always saying that it's nothing to do with smarts it's yeah, no perseverance yeah, it's yeah. The turn, that's, that's where it gets that but I have, I have plenty of them moments yeah, I swear to God yeah yeah and it's uh, you know like even still now I'll be talking to someone and I forget what I'm saying and I go and it's grand if I know them but if I don't know them it's happened a few times on the podcast how <laughs> did I think of it that's the part we edit out so for, for all intents and purposes that could have been 20 minutes of this podcast we just never know <laughs> but we'll know but. Do, do you know what do you know what's really important in all of that as well though and bring it back to addiction and mental health as well it's like you've got to be able to laugh at yeah. yourself if you don't if you take yourself too seriously there's a lovely line I love I don't know who the hell said it but it's like life is too important to be taken seriously yeah and I love that you know what I mean because if you take yourself seriously then if anything goes wrong that's a problem like you know what I mean don't be taking yourself seriously laugh at yourself even if it is a serious situation laugh at that too because you'll get over it quicker and probably be more beneficial for the inverted comma serious situation anyway you know I actually go the opposite way with that where I I actually have been known to laugh at funerals just out of awkwardness like not not me not because it's funny but like just going in my voice in my head goes Frankie wouldn't it be mad if you just started laughing now Uh and I go (laughs) (laughs) now like uh, if it's someone I know it's like that's not really there but if it's like I better not say someone who is actually dead but like say if it was a great great granny or something you know it's like <laughs> like, <laughs> that's terrible. And, and then it's hard once you start that then it's hard to yeah, bleed stop yeah or my twin or my twin yeah and he'd be beside me and we just have to look at each other just and we look know. yeah I'll give you a funny one there as well so I do uh, I'm doing work in a, in a school in Tallets K- yeah. Killing Arden Community ah, School yeah, yeah. yeah so I'm doing uh, with a couple of uh, teenagers sort of certain, certain cohort of teenagers in the class and um it's what you call it. it's been different very different from the corporate arena you work at that probably don't trust it was this fella coming in you have to build trust and stuff like that and I've had a few sessions it's gone really really well now I have to say about seven, six, seven sessions now gone really really well but on Monday just gone we are having a session there was only five of them in the class they're getting to know me a bit more now um, two of the lads were laughing in the class and it's happened a few times where they're just giggling and it's probably just a fit of the giggles yeah. and I says yeah tell us what you're laughing at lads and he says no 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 and I says no come on you have to tell us and I 
I called him out on it, you know what I mean? We're having a laugh and he says, it's stupid, it's stupid. I says, yeah, usually it is. But tell us. And he just said something like, oh, he said something like Garf and then I said Barf. It was just ridiculous, right? But then I start getting the giggles and then I'm looking over at the teacher and I says, oh God, I'm like the, the, the lecturer. I can't be, I can't be getting the giggles. And then because I was getting the giggles, I was getting the giggles even more because I couldn't yeah. stop laughing. So it was me and the lads, the three lads breaking our heart laughing. And it was the most powerful moment I've had with them so far. It was like, yeah. I'm part of that crew then yeah, like in yeah. that moment you know yeah. and it was just pure acting a maggot not even trying <laughs> it was just pure naturally laughing at absolutely nothing you yeah. know what I mean it was just it's, it's mad you have to you can't take yourself seriously I, at all. I think what you were saying as well like about you know um, re- people repelling like re- being repelled against people people being repelled against you like when you said about taking yourself seriously I've always been that way with people who take themselves serious they could be like the nicest person ever but I won't get on with them if they take themselves too seriously yeah. or like don't they can't have a laugh you know, I feel like I'm making my B-Well profile here. Don't like, dislikes people who can't have a laugh, you know? Like. <laughs> you have to have a laugh, man. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's one of the joys of life. Like, it's medicine. I often hear it. Medicine for the soul. It really yeah. is, like. Yeah, and, and that was, uh, you know, even people talk about, like, you know, how they got on with their mental health during the lockdown. Like, I really, it sounds funny, and I feel guilty saying it, but I didn't really struggle during the lockdowns. And, and the reason for that was, I, I started my page at the at the start of the first lockdown and you know like you said that that thought in your head it starts out with a belief we go why the fuck would you do this I got a couple of texts off here going Frankie is everything going alright with shit you know <laughs> <laughs> I, I sent them back like hieroglyphics or something <laughs> but, but uh, like uh, so there was that thing and I remember on the first day I think I spoke about it on the podcast but like the first day I had like a few followers and uh, I remember like saying to someone I'm going to delete the page fuck this like I was just so embarrassed I was like why did I do this this was only funny in my head you know but then sticking it out like and it it is what it is it's doing all right now but like it's funny how you could just uh you know the head will just tell you no delete it and all yeah. none of the, we, we wouldn't be sitting here so you're welcome <laughs> no <I'm joking>. <laughs> <laughs> but that that little seed getting planted and if you gave that if you if you kept on putting water on that that could have turned into a tree deleted yeah. the bloody site and you, we wouldn't be here now yeah, like, you know what yeah. I mean it's crazy and then you think of what, what, what are the things or like anyone else listening to this like what are the little things that you may have stamped out before they got legs to grow like you know yeah. what I mean oh, give, give geez, things a yeah. chance give things a chance it's like and it's back to that self-talk that inner voice like that inner critic that can be hateful and can be horrible to yourself like you know what I mean you wouldn't treat a friend that way but you, you talk to yourself as if you're a piece of crap yeah. like give, your, give yourself a chance and back that life is too important to be taken seriously like if people we get caught up in our own heads or they'll think I'm a muppet they'll think I'm stupid most people are, care about themselves they don't really care much about what they, you yeah. like we get caught up in our own heads that everyone is thinking about what we're doing when they're all thinking about what they're doing yeah. that's 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 the for the most part you know yeah uh, do you, do you, are you familiar with david mitchell no he's he's in qi uh you know the fella uh david mitchell he's in peep show it's like a comedy on e4 but anyway uh he, <laughs> i remember seeing a video of his and he talks about uh do you ever get that thing where you're in say you're walking down dame street right and uh, you realise you're going the wrong way do you ever just like take out your phone pretend to check your phone <laughs> instead of just turning around straight away like a lunatic <laughs> he was talking about that and he was saying like he was saying it's like you're, you're making a show for the fictional 
observer whereas nobody actually fucking says anything it's like you turn around nobody's going oh everyone's going oh look at him <laughs> yeah, yeah. but they're going like oh he probably just realised he's going the wrong way yeah. if they notice it at all like do you know what the worst thing is you take out the phone and then you start to make a face it's the same I think he talks about as well like he's real funny with observational humour uh, like, I love observational humour yeah, yeah. yeah and he talks about that uh, you know when you're about to leave a restaurant it's like you make a face like uh, to let you don't just get up because that'd be like you'd be a psychopath you know if you boy just got up and just left like yeah. <laughs> like who's uh-huh. the show for you know it's mad but uh, anyway well, what did, you, what did you call it the fictional observer yeah. I love that yeah, man yeah. love that yeah. brilliant yeah but he's funny yeah yeah but uh, so many things like that are just for optics aren't they like everything we do already ah so much of what we do is just for the optics it's it's, it's crazy it is and it, and it's even like the optics for ourselves like it's like the, the perception we have of ourselves like we, we don't like telling the truth to ourselves like saying something out loud is like admitting it to yourself so sometimes mm. it's like optics for yourself like it's yeah. it's weird like we're bleeding nuts at the end of the day humans yeah. are nuts like yeah. we are crazy yeah. and we're getting bloody crazier I, I do think there's a spiritual I don't I'm not crazy with the word spiritual spiritual but it's like an awareness revolution happening I think there's a lot more awareness now and I think it's the suffering in the world to start to waken people up to the to the to the that inner dialogue and that the emotional turmoil a lot of people are going through. So I think we're getting to the better to a better place. Yeah. Hopefully we are anyway. I think in general people are a little bit more empathetic. It's the labeling as well. Like I do think the labels are dropping. Like I found myself in this conversation it's playing on my mind. I, I says when I got clean. And someone pointed I never had an issue with the word saying I was clean. I never had yeah. an issue with that. But then someone pointed it out to me one day. If you're saying you're clean now, that means other people in addiction are dirty. Yeah. Clean dirty. Yeah, and it's like yeah, calling calling yeah. addicts are like zombies. They're like zombies. That's like in non-human like talk about yeah. dehumanizing that's a dead person a zombie yeah. is a dead person so it's really being careful around the language behind yeah. things as well because like what you say in the moment isn't going to cause like it's that individual thing isn't isn't going to be the be all and end all but if, if it's it's being part of that language being part of that culture it's a cultural thing really that yeah. we need to shift but I think that's what you're but tapping into there that, that shift is changing the culture around these ideas are changing which yeah. is great yeah yeah so what what did obviously you you studied and still studied like neuroscience what has that done for you as regards to just your mental health what have you learned oh god not much is the answer man that's <laughs> that's the reality of it and even even in the even in the i do life coaching yeah. i do i deliver courses in the corporate world in fairness i i bring a little bit i bring a lot of psychological concepts and i bring a lot of neuroscience into yeah. what i do i like to talk about the biology biological element of the psychological element of it but i didn't learn any of them doing my degree my master's mm. or my phd it's it's weird it is you get very specific in that arena it was only the external stuff that i read so it's um i i think anyone like any you, you needed to have the credibility it's for the credibility but anyone go out there like the, all the information is out there in the internet like i learned a lot of the neuroscience like most of what i know through neuroscience was started off through youtube videos it was called Khan academy and i learned it all through that so the stuff just because it's in an academic book doesn't mean you learn it better if you i think if you're especially if you're a visual learner go on to 
YouTube. If yeah. you have the appetite for it, you can learn it. So it's not what I specifically learned on my degree and within my education per se, but it's the continual learning and the appetite that I had for those subjects. But I do try to bring that multidisciplinary kind of thing. I try to hook the psychology into the biology of how it impacts the body to make it real. Because I think when you're talking about psychology, like even the word stress, anxiety, what are they? Well, let's make it biological. What's the impact of it in the body? And that makes it more real. So I love just making things more concrete so people can really access it a little bit better you know so that's yeah. that's really it's helped it's helped me to be able to communicate the ideas better i think yeah yeah so like in a way like obviously like get, getting the phd was like a really really intricate like stepping stone to get to where you could be most effective helping people yeah. now that's not a way to yeah. diminish your phd yeah, at no, all no, but no. you know what i mean like it's, it's right. kind of, yeah yeah you're right and, and really like with, with a phd like i got very specific with the phd and and and, and the like it's a, a huge part of my phd was statistical analysis it was yeah. called oh, stru- structural it. equation yeah. oh my god <laughs> do me hurting and I can say it now because I have it in the bag, but at one stage I didn't want to do it. Sam modeling, it's called. It's really, yeah. really uh, specific. And I says, right, I'll get someone to, I'm going to pay someone a few quid to do that <laughs> element of it. I'm yeah. really going to kick, kick, kick. Well, it's yeah. okay in the end. Yeah, because yeah, you didn't I, do it. But yeah, because yeah. of what, no, yeah. I did use it. Yeah. But check out what <laughs> yeah. happened, right? So I'm getting me Voiva. Voiva is the, is the, is the, is the test you get for your PhD, right? It's a, it's an oral test. It's a three hour interview and they tear your, your research apart. And one of the things over how do you prepare for a voive? And I says, right, check out the researcher. And I asked for a, 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 I, I reached out to a researcher in the States because COVID was on. She's a huge researcher in the States. Someone that I had all over my research around addiction and mindfulness yeah. and stuff like that. And it says, check out your researcher to see what their, their, their main skills are, what, what they're researching right now. And I paid a guy to do me SEM modeling for me. Now I had an understanding, a theoretical yeah, yeah. understanding of it, but I got him to do all the coding elements of it. And then um, when I looked up uh, Dr. Katie, I'm going to butcher her second name, it's Wichekovich, I think. And I looked in and she does advanced structural equation modeling (laughs) and all the latent. And I'm like, oh my God. So I had to go back and spend two weeks going, doing all the stuff that I'd actually paid for. (laughs) Recoded all myself. (laughs) (laughs) No, I couldn't. But what happened in the end? And I was so lucky because when I was doing the voyage, she asked me to call up the code and have a look at something. So it was blessed that I'd done it. Worked out the way it was meant. It worked out the way it was meant to, but it was like gone off on a tangent there. But like that—that's what—that's what the PhD was about for me. And I think the you go very specific in a certain area. Now I looked into the nature of emotion-driven impulsivity. It's looking at how negative emotions drive impulsive behaviors alcohol uh, misuse and uh, mindfulness like se- acting with self-awareness as a way as a protective barrier for that so there's a few nice pieces within that but it's just really looking at the research it's hard to talk about it in a, in a lay way yeah and when you're so close to it as well it's probably hard to step back and kind of yeah you know uh, what what do you do to help your mental health now or do you have kind of a regime yeah I do so so the, the, the first thing I do it's my non-negotiable is exercise it is absolutely critical and I've sort of looked into the biology and the neuroscience behind exercise as well because I always look into the science of things as well just to say why is this actually what does it actually work is the science backing it up and I won't go into the depth of that but the research shows that exercise it, it's not just doesn't release endorphins it gives you it releases serotonin it reduces inflammation which causes 
uh, neurotoxins in the brain if you have too much inflammation through certain mechanisms so exercise is the research shows it's incredible for your mental health on a biological level and it just makes you feel good it sets you up so that's that's my number one that's the big one I try to get sleep I eat healthy so those three one three things you can cut the head off any of most mental health problems if you get those things right yeah. now obviously if someone's st- struggling with anxiety and depression you can't just tell them to go for a run yeah, and get eight yeah. hours sleep it's, it's a lot more nuanced and deeper than that so I'd have a lot of other tools in my life like I practice visualisation I'm often thinking of gratitude but just the simple things connecting with people feeling your feelings sitting with your emotions all of these very basic human things when you get the basics right that's that's the key that's the key yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, that's that's one thing that I like on kind of the exercise we do all the rest of it but like I remember going to uh, cool mine uh, swimming pool uh, a while ago and I was like I'm gonna get back into swimming like cause I was good at it when I was actually no that's not true I was shy at it when I was a kid but I, I was a lot better than I was when I went back so anyway I went back and I, you should have seen me I was like a drowning sea lion if you can imagine <laughs> what that looks like you know like a, a sea lion who was afraid to swim but I was, so I was, I was swimming right and uh, like, I was like this is deadly I feel great and after like two minutes my heart starts going like that I could only do ten minutes and I had to leave of, of like laps like and I was like I was thinking I'll do an hour here that's grand that'll kill it was like early you know early recoveries that'll kill an hour at a day you know yeah. you have to an hour of swimming is a long time yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay good because I didn't know yeah I didn't know how long you're supposed to do yeah. but uh, ten minutes I was so embarrassed thank god there was no one else there <laughs> <laughs> sometimes I'll even get second hand I was talking to a friend about this I'll get second hand embarrassment for other people when I see them doing something yeah. embarrassing you yeah. know it's yeah. funny like I don't know yeah. very true yeah, yeah it's, it's it's mad it's 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 mad but when I I'm trying to think of all the things like exercise is absolutely critical I love swimming as well because it's sort of like a mindfulness kind of thing as well yeah. it's like it's just something very I don't know spiritual not spiritual but it's like you see people gliding through the water it just looks like that That it's, it's there's a monotony in it as well that's just real like it's like t- transcendental meditation it's just you say the same little mantra to yourself again and again and again and swimming sort of reminds me of that it's like stroke stroke now yeah. the people in the pool are probably up in their head tormenting themselves I don't know <laughs> it looks very zen yeah, like yeah, you know yeah. but there, there's something else that, that has really been critical for me as well it, it just jumped into my head and I think the, a big problem that people make is like you've got to set yourself up to be able to like people often think that they feel a certain way and because they feel a certain way they act a certain way but you can actually change how you feel by changing your actions i think people have that reversed so it's like mood follows action motion can drive emotion and that's why exercise is so important because i can wake up in the morning and say i'm not in the humor for the day but i go and exercise and it changes my mindset it changes my state of being and i think it's really important like there's something that i really practice in my life and it's this difference between feelings based decisions and values-based decisions. So imagine I wake up in the day, right? I want to have good mental health. I want to have good physical health and I want to get stuff done. I want to do my job, right? But I wake up, I feel like hitting the snooze button. I feel like eating crap. I feel like binging on Netflix. Well, if I follow those feelings, I'm just going to binge on Netflix, eat crappy food and not go, not, not work on my physical health and not get anything done. So if you're, if you're struggling with difficult feelings and you're making your decisions based on how you feel, I'm not doing that, don't feel like it, you're in bloody trouble. Mm. But if you align yourself with what's important to you, good mental health, good connections with your family, your other values like just being 
like personal values have curiosity creativity whatever's being brave courageous whatever's valuable to you if you act and make decisions in accordance to that instead of how you feel that is absolutely critical so one of the things i do do is that i have sort of a toolbox and a set of tools that if i don't if i don't feel aligned or i feel stuck i will just change how i feel by acting in a different way now sometimes the actions is just right you feel crap you have to chill out you have to relax the body wants to rest so sometimes that's the right action Mm. but it's about taking action in some kind of a way to align yourself with what's important for you you know yeah i think if i'm gonna get anything from this it was that definitely because i don't i don't always do that like and it's it's such a good way of putting it because i never really looked at it like that and I'm just after binging Top Boy on Netflix, so, <laughs> <laughs> so that's definitely something. Sometimes it's all right to binge yeah. if it's valuable to you. That's, taking that's notes, seeing how we can go back and do it right this time. I'm watching The Boys at the minute. I only started a program on it. It's not on Netflix. It's on one of the stations, The Boys. Have you ever, no. ever watched it? Oh, it's deadly. It's like yeah. evil superheroes. Look at Marvel. Oh, yeah. I think it's actually very, very Is good. Is it a movie or a TV No, it's show? a series. It's okay, a series. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's very, yeah. very good. Yeah, very, yeah. Very What's good. it on? It's I don't prime. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. We have good. that. Prime is one of the ones you always forget the password. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's yeah. hidden there somewhere. Yeah. It's dark. Yeah. It's a comedy. It? It's yeah. dark. I, I think you like it. I think you like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good. Because I, I think uh, I think like I, I love the kind of comedy where it's like I never really like the middle of the road stuff that much, but you know where it's like it's kinda of like <sighs> And then, yeah. and then you laugh, you know, it's like too close to the bone. Yeah. Watch your viewers. I'd love to get your viewers if you're allowed to have it. I'm sure you can have it on the podcast with the Will Smith fiasco with oh, Chris Rock. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Being a comedian. So like, I, I think, <laughs> I think it's kind of set a precedent. And uh, now I'm thinking, like, nobody wants to fucking know my views, but uh, it kind of sets a precedent. I think for like. You know, now is it okay for people to just hit you if you say something you don't like? Yeah. It just it felt like being out in fucking uh, the living room uh, on a Friday night, like you know, in the in the smoking area, and you say something to someone and he just hits you, like because yeah. that's where you'd expect it. You know, you wouldn't expect it at the Oscars. Mental. Yeah, yeah. Mental. And and like I think people in Hollywood who are defending them are just kind of pathetic in a way because it's they're obviously just social climbing and big time I, I actually think and the reason why I mentioned it as well it's like I I, I, I like I, I loved Will Smith I loved him Fresh yeah, Prince of Bel-Air sort of all that kind yeah. of stuff and he sort of he talks about a lot of uh like personal growth stuff as well and his message seemed to be good little snippets I've heard of him down the years but he was doing an interview he had a book out recently and he was doing an interview with Oprah Winfrey and I remember thinking he's a little bit unhinged he's just something yeah. not right there at all yeah, something not really, the way he yeah. used to be yeah and this it's, is coming it, from a neuroscientist so it actually must be true <laughs> <laughs> well I don't know about that but I definitely felt something's a bit yeah. off there big time so it nearly didn't surprise me but that was yeah. somebody that's unhinged like down that was bloody crazy yeah. I'm not and you could see the way he I'm no, yeah, <laughs> that's something that we all say. I'm no expert on it, but uh, you actually can't say that, so I'm just gonna call you on that. But uh, you know, when you could hear his voice quivering, yeah. oh, you know that feeling. You know, when you're so like, that's the part I can relate to, though. You know, when you're so angry and you're so sad, yeah, 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 yeah. So I don't know. I hope he's all right anyway. Like, God. but anyway, man, thank you so much for coming in, Brian. Really appreciate it. Love the conversation yeah. man really did great yeah. crack really yeah, enjoyed yeah. it thanks I'm man I'm gonna do I'm gonna start or end it with um, uh, I do a guided meditation at the end if that's lovely. okay yeah lovely uh, man in today's meditation we're going to psychoanalyze a Kit Kat 
Kit Kat, what's your relationship like with your mother? Kit Kat, reveal all your repressed memories. What word comes to mind when you see a picture of a morrow bar? Were you really born on a Cadbury's chocolate factory floor? Everyone keeps telling you to have a break. But what if you want to keep working? Are you even tired, Kit Kat? You don't do much. You're kind of just there. Kit Kat, are you the singularity? Or are the four brake lines in your bar your brothers and sisters? Do you ever get jealous when they get eaten before you? Or would that be incest? Kit Kat, did you ever think about getting into Forex, bro? You probably wouldn't do well due to your lack of knockoff Gucci and fake teeth from Turkey. Kit Kat, do you ever feel guilty that you're at your best when you've been chilling in the fridge? A Kit Kat at room temperature is just a glorified glob of chocolate covered Holy Communion wafer bread. <laughs> Kit Kat, one of these days we'll get to know you better. But for now, that's our session done for the day. Namaste. <laughs> oh, oh, God. Oh, you I thought it was a proper meditation. <laughs> I thought it was a proper meditation. 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 I thought it was a proper meditation.